Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning, church. Happy Easter to you. He is risen? Yes. <laughs> Good morning. My name's Tim. Uh, my wife and I are the founding pastors of the Vineyard here in Myrtle Beach, and uh, we are so happy you guys chose to celebrate Easter with us. If, uh, if you're here at the beach for just a vacation or for some time off, welcome. We're glad you're here. If this is your first time, welcome. If you've been with us for a while, I'm so glad you showed up today. Uh, no doubt that... Uh, the boldest claim ever made was resurrection, is a resurrection. We've been in a series that I've called Essential Doctrines because we've looked at uh, some of the most important parts of what we in the Christian faith hold dear. A matter of fact, I subtitled this, as you can see, Easter for Atheists. Not because I believe all you guys are atheists, but because, because in some of the conversations I've had and with people, I find out people that are in process or they don't believe um, I find out that the four topics that I chose to preach on were the topics that they wanted to talk about. One was the existence of God. Does it make sense that even a God exists, a creator? And so the first week, the first Sunday, we talked about uh, does it make sense to believe in a God, in a creator, a wonderful creator. Then we looked at, or I had Joel, a uh, pastor, another vineyard pastor, come in and share, and he shared on sin, and that is there's something some breakdown between us and our Creator. And the Bible calls that sin, missing the mark, couldn't quite get there, can't make it up the distance between our good Creator and ourselves. Something's blocking that. And, and so we looked at the privilege, as Joel called it, of repentance and the privilege of being able to recognize our need and that we had a problem. Then last week I shared on uh, Jesus, just who He was, and all along the way, I've tried to give you guys, especially those of you who talk with others about your faith, tried to give you some information that you could use in your talks with your friends. And also, if you're here, and I hope we have a lot of people in transition, I hope we have quite a few who are like at that place where they haven't quite made their mind up yet. They're like, well, I hear all this information, Tim, but I just... I can't make that step yet. And so I've tried to drop some information along the way that will help you at least make an informed decision as far as is this thing called Christianity, Jesus, is this real? Today we're talking about the resurrection. We're talking about what happens, uh, the beauty of the resurrection, what benefit is the resurrection, uh, the cross to us today. But first I want to give you some things to consider that, uh, like I said, for for those who are maybe are in search or you want some information as far as sharing with your friends about the resurrection. I mean, this is, this is the big deal. And for a lot of us, we go, somebody raised from the dead? Really? We don't give it that much thought. But listen to this. Just listen to some of this. In that culture at that time, if you know this story, you will know that the women showed up first to the empty tomb, right? And it was women that were there first. Well, in this culture... In this culture, women were not valid witnesses. I'm glad this has changed now. 
Uh, but in this culture, at this time, if you wanted a witness for something, you would not have chosen women. You would have, why didn't they go out and pick some man, some guy that had some prestige and people believed in his word and had him show up at the tomb so he could make the case? It seems to me it would be easier. Instead, women were the first ones to see that Christ was raised from the dead. The disciples, I mean, once they told the disciples that the tomb was empty, they thought that the ladies were hysterical. They didn't believe him. I mean, if I'm telling this story and this is some kind of fabricated story, I would not begin my story like this. First, I would, you, know, you would want a viable witness. Secondly, you would not want the leaders of this new movement going, I don't believe you. <laughs> you, know, you would have them on board early, but the disciples didn't believe them at first. James, Jesus' half-brother, and all the other brothers and sisters, half-brothers and sisters that Jesus had, we don't know the others, but James we know, James did not believe that Jesus said, didn't believe that he, that he said what he, that he was, who he was. He didn't believe Jesus when Jesus said, I'm the Messiah, that I'm the Son of God, I've come. Actually, James and the rest of the family, other than the mom, thought he was a little crazy. So what happened, what in the world could have happened to change James' mind from being a complete doubter to a sold-out believer And actually, James ends up leading the church in Jerusalem and eventually giving his life for the gospel. What changed? What incident? What happened in between Jesus' death and that few days afterward that James, the doubter in his family, would go, oh my goodness, this is real. This is true. I'm going to give my life to it. And he literally did give his life to it. Something happened. I mean, what changed these cowardly guys? I mean, this... These 11 guys that were the leaders of the first church. I mean, if you were choosing leaders, would you choose these guys? I mean, no, you wouldn't. I mean, it's like God put everything in place so that you would have to say, wow, this, nobody could put this and arrange this. No man could arrange all of this and coalesce all of these stories and all of these situations so that they work this way together. I mean, the guys didn't believe. They didn't believe right up to the last minute that he was who he said he was. They weren't expecting the Messiah, to come and die. This was different from the religion they were raised in. His disciples were raised in the Jewish religion and belief that the Messiah would come, take the throne immediately on the earth, usher in God's kingdom, kick the Romans out, and set up the rule and reign. And that's not what happened. Their hero was killed. Now what changed between his death and three days later and then 40 days later when they began to change the world. Something, something happened that changed them. Something tremendous. The disciples, they didn't know anything about preaching the resurrection. They didn't have that in mind. There was nothing in any of the accounts that we know of that would say they had this plan to preach a resurrection. And this, like I said, their religion was totally different. They didn't have a place for this. If if somebody stole the body, if the Jewish authorities stole the body so they, it couldn't be said that he rose from the grave, why didn't they produce the body? Where is it? And how did 120 men and women hiding out in that little upper room suddenly change the world within just a few years? What happened? You know, only 30 years after Jesus' death, we have a historian, Tacitus, who tells us that when Nero when Nero was having a celebration, and this is just 30 years, one generation 
after his death that Nero took the Christians of that first generation church because they would not deny their belief in the resurrection and their belief in Jesus Christ, he covered them in animal skins, threw them into an arena, and had dogs destroy them. Now, what causes you to be so committed to that? And he didn't stop there. He covered them in pitch. He had this great celebration, so he covers them in pitch. He sticks them on stakes, and he lights them up. And he uses hundreds of Christians as his torches going down the road to his house where he has a feast, and he rides in his chariot proudly. Now, what in the world happened to cause a group of people to be so committed to their faith if something amazing didn't occur? We have so many historians, Sertonius, Juvenal, Pliny the Younger, Martial, Epictetus, Marcus Aurelius, all of these people and historians tell us three facts that we know. One is there was a man named Jesus Christ. Two, he was crucified. And three, they can't find his body. That's just historical. Three, they never have found his body. So I want you to work with me today too and help me out because if I say he is risen, I want you to respond how? Now, you've got to remember this. Anytime during the sermon, you've got to help me out. Okay, anytime you hear me say it, just, just preach it back to me. Help me out. I mean, we're, we're worshiping on Sunday, right? Why this day of the week? All the way back to 32 AD, the first Christians said, let's worship not on the Sabbath day. Let's worship on the first day of the week, which is this day of the week to the Jewish people. Why? Because it's the day Jesus was resurrected. All the way back to 32 AD. I mean, we sell, every time we gather, we rest on this day, it is a declaration that something phenomenal happened, historical. The empty tomb, again, there is one, there is one theory that Jesus wasn't dead. He's kind of beat up, but he wasn't dead. And they put him in the tomb, and, and after a while, after three days or so, he came to, a couple of days maybe, and he had to get over it a little bit. So he gets up, and... Uh, he pushes a stone away, and he slinks off, and then all of a sudden, he shows up to the disciples. I am the Lord. Now, let me get this straight. Okay, this guy's been nailed through his wrist, beat, crown of thorns on his head, his hot side split open. He's been beat and beat and tortured, spikes through his feet. They lay him in a tomb and put 75 pounds of spices over his body, but in just a couple of days, he wakes up, shakes it all off, pushes a heavy stone away, beats up the Roman soldiers, and then shows up to his disciples, and he looks glorious. Now, that, I don't get, I don't, that, I'm just thinking logically, that doesn't seem, seem to work. Did you know there were 500, it says in the scripture, 500 different appearances? 500 people saw him, not just the disciples. Different places, different times. There was Thomas the doubter. Remember him? We call him the doubter. I think any of us would say the same thing. If someone walked in and said, so-and-so has been raised from the dead, you go, <laughs> whatever. You know, not till I see him. You know, I'm not going to believe that. And so Thomas says, I'm not going to believe until I see his, the holes in his hands. And I put my finger in his side. And sure enough, Jesus provided that for him. So today is a big day. If you just take that, the information I just gave you, and just, if you're not, 
you haven't committed your life to Christ, you haven't stepped over the line and said, I want to follow him yet, just consider what I just shared and ask yourself, what would make sense? What would change these people's lives? Why do 2.3 billion people on this earth right now, today, are celebrating the same thing? 2.3 billion Christians. 2,000 years later. What is it about the resurrection? Our text is in Romans 3 and verses 22 through 26. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, Romans 3, 22 through 26. You also have a handout uh, in your uh a fill-in in your handout if you want to track along with me. I have a couple of acronyms in there today, and you have a pen, I think. So if you want to take notes and fill that in just to track along, that'll be great. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. All right, here we go. Romans three twenty-two. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. So He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, ask for your help today. Uh, ask for you to help me. Give me the gift of teaching. Lord, we pray that you would come and speak through your word. This is a glorious day. We can't just pass this day by and go, it's just another religious holiday. No, Lord, there's so much to consider. And you have given so much that we need to consider. Lord, I ask for your presence to come, your Holy Spirit. Come and make yourself known today. And Lord, I pray now that there are people here who are so close to stepping in behind you and to follow you, to give their lives to you and to begin this journey with you, that you would speak to them today. What a great day to begin the journey. Easter 2014, Resurrection Day. So, Lord, come and move in our hearts. Resurrect within us a hope an excitement and an appreciation for who you are, what you have done, and what you have given us through the cross and the resurrection. I breathe life on your word, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you first fill in here, and this is taken uh, through this, this text. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but if you look down, you have your Bible. There are three words, or there are two words that are repeated three times in this passage. And what I tell you guys a lot is if you want to, find out what a section of scripture means, look for recurring words, repeating words, those words that show up again and again. Like if you read a chapter or you read a passage of scripture, go through, take your pen and look for a word, a word, a word, and you see it starting to recur, there's a theme, there's a theme going on. Now in this passage of scripture, there are two words that show up three times. The first word is all, A-L-L, and the second word is faith. And uh, so all, I have an acronym there for you, A-A-A-L-L, I can't spell all. And uh, your first fill-in, your first fill-in is this under the A, access. Through the resurrection, through the cross, we have access to God. In verse 22 that we just read, this righteousness is given through faith 
in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. I mean, we just mentioned the ladies, the women at the tomb. The ladies at the tomb, this would have been unheard of. I could read you quotes from some of the Jewish uh, rabbis of this time where they thank God that they were not made a woman. And uh, I mean, it was terrible. Wow, and, but God includes women in this. He includes women as witnesses and saying that there is access for everyone now because of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. The Gospel of Luke is written, probably Luke was not a Jewish man. I mean, God let a non-Jewish man write one of the Gospels. Jesus had tax collectors and Samaritans and lepers, sick people, possessed people, and children to come to him. All people in that society who would have been pushed to the margins. And yet, Jesus makes access for them. All can come to me now. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is in the book of Acts where Philip, one of the disciples, is just kind of hanging out like we tell you guys in the vineyard to do, just kind of hang out and look to see what God is doing around you, right? And then ask him what it is, and then join God in what he's already doing. And so Philip is doing that. Philip's hanging out. and You know, he's like, okay, God, you got me here. What am I supposed to do? And all of a sudden, he sees an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, that is a little different of person, if you know what I mean. Ethiopian eunuch. And he's in a chariot. And he's got the book of Isaiah, so he's wealthy. He works, you know, for someone, and he's wealthy. He's in a chariot. He's got the book of Isaiah, the Messianic prophecies, right before him, and he's reading them out loud, and he's, he's got this look on his face. Well, Philip, not being a dummy, and it's saying, God, what are you doing? I want to join you. He hears the Ethiopian eunuch reading this scripture, and so he steps over to him, and he goes, Hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy turns to Philip and goes, how could I if someone doesn't explain it to me? Well, boy, that was the invitation. So Philip jumps up, and I love it that he gets in the chariot with him. He just jumps in the chariot with him, turns to him, pulls out the scripture that he's got, and he says, what you're reading that was written, what, 500 years ago or so, what you're reading has happened in Jesus Christ. And the eunuch goes, no, get out of here. First, you've got Philip, you know, you got him in the chariot with an Ethiopian eunuch. Are you seeing this all access going on? I mean, people were really separated back in that day. Got to keep them separated. You know, you push them out. But but Jesus is breaking it down. He's breaking it down. There's full access now. So he jumps up in the chariot right with him, and he explains. He takes the scripture, bang, bang, bang. Do you see that? Yep, yep, yep. That's Jesus. No. Yeah. And so... The guy, the Ethiopian eunuch, comes to Christ. He becomes a believer. He gets ready to trot off. And the guy turns to Philip and says, what's to keep me from being baptized? And Philip says, nothing. And so they jump down out of the chariot and go through the water. And you have Philip, one of the disciples, taking an Ethiopian eunuch by the hand and baptizing him. This is a breaking out of the kingdom. Access for everyone Peter has a vision. You know, you've, some of you have read this story before. One spot, Peter is up on, on the roof. He's taking a nap. He's having a vision. God's trying to explain to him what is clean and what is unclean. As a good Jewish man, he didn't want to touch anything that was unclean. 
at the same time that Peter is having this dream over in another part of the country, there's a Roman soldier with his family and his friends gathered at the house, and they've been saying, we need to come to know God. How are we ever going to know him the way we want to? They feel this compelling, this wooing, this pulling by God, but they don't know how to connect. And so someone tells him, there's this guy, Peter, who was with this Messiah, and he's there. Well, let's go send for him. And so about the time Philip finishes having his vision about what's clean and unclean, this guy shows up and says, hey, my boss wants you back at the house. I mean, timing, really, duh. And, uh, you know, he says my, he's a good man. He does good things. He's a Roman centurion. Would you come and talk to him? Wow. Peter says, okay, hey, let's go see what God's doing. Peter goes into a good Jewish man, walks into a Roman soldier's house. Are you getting this? Full access would have never happened before Jesus. Never. He walks into this Roman centurion's house and this whole family is gathered. Soldier friends, all of them. Peter begins to give the gospel to them of who Jesus was. And the Holy Spirit falls on them right in that moment. They come to Christ and become believers. All access. Paul later on writes, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are one in all. The books, or the books, because this is 66 books, not just one book. uh, The books end with these words that every tribe and tongue and nation will worship him. There's full access now to God because of Jesus, because of what he did. But there's a problem, and this is your second L, or your first L, A-L. And that is that without Jesus Christ, we are all lost. Notice in verse 23, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. But here's another commonality. For all have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. All. Everyone, everybody. Not only does everyone have access to redemption, but everyone needs redeeming. All of us. All of us fall short. Philippians 3, 7 through 11 says, Indeed, I count everything. Now listen, this is the description of Paul on what this means, what Jesus did and his own good deeds in light of who Christ was. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. Now, that's a real kind word for poopy. Really, literally, that's what it is. Dung. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as poopy. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. There's nothing I've got in me that's going to be able to stand before God and go, I got the stuff. You've got to take me. Not in a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. That is what is right and wrong. But that which comes through faith, there's that word, in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, because like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I've said this probably since the day I became a follower of Christ, and that is that I've realized that we're all screwed without Jesus. 
the good, the bad, the ugly. I mean, in here today, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? I got two of those, okay? I won't tell you which two. Um, <laughs> everyone is lost without Christ. Even our good deeds are like something you could scrape off of your shoe to God. They don't stand up. And some of us need to come to Christ today with that. And we need to say, I realize that I have nothing in myself that will allow me to stand before a perfect and holy God unless I receive what you've offered me. And then some of us revel in our sinfulness. You know, we just think we're like messed up one time too many. And I have a recommendation for you. Get over yourself and look at the empty grave. He is risen. Oh, that was weak, man. He is risen. Yes. You see, all fall short. Every one of us falls short. Even those of us who think we're doing well, in your moments of silence, in your moments of time when things don't quite look right, the minute one of your kids act up, you're not doing well. Right? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Oh, man, I'm not doing good. You know, we know we don't quite measure up. And your second L here is this, and this is the good news. We can all be liberated. Liberated. We all have access, but we have a problem. We're lost, but we all also can be liberated. And all, this is from verse 24 in our text, all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Yes, we all have a problem, a big problem, but the good news is liberation has come with Jesus. Uh, We don't understand that word justified. We have a television show. How many Southerners watch that show? I know you do. Justified. Yeah, but you know, the show is basically this guy's justified in killing everybody. But I mean, that's not what this this means here, exactly. Last week I mentioned Psalm 22, and uh, that 800 years before Jesus hung on that cross and cried those words from Psalm 22, it was predicted, I mean, it was predicted those 800 years before that Jesus would hang on that cross and that Jesus would, would cry out these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Now, why had God forsaken Jesus on the cross? Why did that happen? Why did that occur? He didn't cry out, my head, my head. I mean, he had, the thorns had been around his forehead. The spike, he didn't go, my hands, my hands. The spikes had been through his wrist. He didn't say, my feet, my feet. The spikes had been through his feet. He didn't say, my side, my side, where the spear... He didn't even say, my friends, my friends, because they had all abandoned him. Why did he say, my God, my God? Think about that for a minute. We all have what Tim Keller calls, uh, when he speaks of our own righteousness in the passage that we read, our own righteousness, Tim says, is uh, we can just put the word performance report in there. My, My own performance report is like dung. You know, it's just not getting it. And some of us will think, wait a minute, I, I think my performance report is okay, but like I said, wait till your kids act up. Wait till they don't do the way you had trained them. They don't behave the way you had trained them to do, and suddenly your performance report doesn't look that great. 
And through Jesus' death and resurrection, he comes and he says, there's going to be times when you wrap yourself in your own performance report, just like when you want to get in, maybe you want to get into graduate school and you're putting your report together, you know, everything you can to get in. You're looking at it and you're making it look as good as you can. You want that job, so you put this, you know, you put this resume together and you want to put it together as best you can. It's kind of like a report card or a performance report or, or even a job evaluation that you did on yourself. I want to look good. But something can come along and nudge it just a little bit and you suddenly realize your performance is not as great as you thought it was. And suddenly this sense of guilt, like I said, when you're kids, if you have kids and they grow up and then they don't do the things that you knew they would do and they start doing the things that you told them not to do, then all of a sudden your performance report, am I not telling the truth? I'm a parent and a granddad. I can tell you, I know that's true. Man, I'm a great parent. I'm awesome. I'm great. And then they go do something. Whoa, what did I, where did I fail? Oh, my goodness, you're 30 years old. 30 years old. Really? What happened? And suddenly our performance report, we say, I don't care what anybody thinks. Sure you do. Sure you care. Only people that don't care about what people think about them are psychos. They're the people that go out and murder people. I mean, they go, I don't care what anybody thinks, you know. And, and we think we're bold, like, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. Yeah, you do. What happens when somebody that you love suddenly says, I don't love you anymore? And many of you know that heartbreak. Things are going great. Your performance evaluation looks wonderful, and all of a sudden something taps it. And your performance evaluation doesn't look that great anymore. What did I do wrong? did I do wrong? I, I, don't, I don't know what I did wrong. And this sense of guilt, or your wife, your husband, and things aren't going well, or you're a pastor. I think I'm a pretty good pastor, and 10 people leave the church. Oh, crap. Where did I fail? Oh, you know, my performance report. Oh, you know, we can be just as confident one minute, and the next we can be going, I'm just not measuring up. And you know, that's a tiresome way to do life, isn't it? Isn't that like a yo-yo? I mean, when our performance report is going well, it's up at the top, and we're going, man, I feel so good about me. And then something comes along, and the yo-yo drops, and we feel that tension in our life and that sagging, and we go, oh, man, I just don't look that good. Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous. No one will have a perfect performance report in God's sight. By the works of the law, that is what you think is right and wrong. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Something's wrong. Something has gone wrong. And Jesus on the cross, when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he was experiencing is the loss of love. He and his father had been together for eternity. Now, some of us know what it's like to lose someone we love. We know the hurt and the pain, but that is nothing compared to what Jesus was feeling on the cross. Forever he was with his Father. Forever he loved him. Forever and for the first time in eternity, God is not there for him. My God, isn't that kind of personal? My God. We don't say my unless we feel really strong about something and intimate about it. This is my wife. This is my husband. This is my children. This is my guitar. unless we really care about it. And Jesus didn't cry out, as I said, my head, my arms, my legs, my friends, 
He cried out, my God, because he was missing. He wasn't there. And I find it ironic that today, if you call on God, today, when you say, my God, he's going to come to you. In just a few minutes, if you cry that out and you say, my God, he is going to be here for you. But on this day, at this time, when he called on God, he was not there. Why? Why wasn't he there? Because he was experiencing the separation from God that is hell. I mean, it was hell. What is hell if it isn't separation from your good creator? And he was separated from God, from his father. I mean, you've lost loves, people you love in your life. Take that and multiply it 10 zillion times. And that's what was heaped upon Jesus at that moment in time. All that loss of love, loss of what he had had for all of eternity. And now it's not there. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Why? Yet Jesus was still obedient. 1 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might receive the perfect performance report. Perfect performance report. He is risen. Hey, that's pretty good news, man. Getting a performance report that's excellent before God. I mean, really, that's what righteousness is. His righteousness. We can't stand in our own performance report. The cross has brought this new redemption to us that we've never had available to us at any time through Jesus. God made Jesus who never knew sin to become sin for me so that in Jesus I might be handed a perfect performance report. Perfect. All of my failing grades and sucky performance reports now are just washed off and I got a perfect, perfect one. But that's not all. Romans 3.24 says, And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. When we get the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, it's the forgiveness, right? That our, our whole report is blanked out and now it's a perfect report. It's like you come into court and you owe a lot and then you come in and you get redemption you get new righteousness so that's you may go you come to God with all of your stuff all of your failures and even all of your pride of being such a good person you bring all of that into him and he looks at it you take Jesus into yourself and because of Christ he says you may go you are free to go no longer are you a slave to any of that but justification is different because justification doesn't say you can go. Justification says you may come. You may come into the presence of God now and spend as much time in front of a holy, righteous, pure creator. You don't have to worry anymore about having access. You don't have to worry about being lost any longer. You now are welcome. That's the justification. Why did, God, why did Jesus scream out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What did God get that he didn't have before Jesus went to the cross? I mean, he got glory from Jesus, right? Anyway, Jesus was in heaven giving God the Father glory. I mean, he had that already. So, but what did God get out of all of this pain? 
That's right. He got you. That's what he did not have before the cross and before the resurrection. It was you. That's what he gets now because of the righteousness and the justification. And maybe uh, Tim Keller uh, mentions a scene in NCIS. Uh, you watch that television program, and uh, I thought it was appropriate. What he, I found the clip, but it was in German, so it was a little funny, and I figured you, you guys would probably laugh before you got the point. So, uh, but uh, he says that in this, in this uh, picture, there's an old World war, uh, war vet you know, he's in his 80s, and he's tired and broken, and uh, he's in the NCIS place, and he's done something wrong, and these two strapping Marines come in to arrest him, and they grab his hands to handcuff him, and the girl standing close to him pushes them back and reaches over and grabs the old man's tie and pushes it to the side, and there is the Congressional Medal of Honor. And what do you think those Marines did when they saw that? They had handcuffs one minute, the next minute, like that. That is what justification is. Everything Jesus paid for is yours. All of heaven is looking at you and welcoming you now. They salute you when you take on yourself the price that Jesus paid. No more having to measure up to your own standards. No more having to worry about whether God is going to throw you out and waste you. There is no way that's going to happen because in Jesus Christ, you are free. His righteousness, His performance report is yours now. It's clean. It's excellent. And you have received the medal of honor in Christ Jesus. He is risen. Yes. You know, how do we get this? How do we receive this? That's the third word, your last fill in there, and that is F-A-I-T-H. We receive this through faith. Through faith. That is trusting and believing. And the acronym I used is for all, I trust him. All has been the word that we've been looking at today, and trust is just another word for faith. For all, I trust him. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, if you declare, if you speak out with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are what? Justified. Receive that medal. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. I'm going to ask everyone to stand in just a few moments, but before I do, I want to pray with us today. Maybe today at this moment, on Easter 2014, you have received enough information and you feel that in your heart and you sense that today is the day. And so I want us to pray. Can we just do that for a minute? Let's just uh, close our eyes for a second here. First, Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. Thank you for Easter. Thank you that we can rest in you. Thank you, Father. Now, while we're praying for a moment, I want to ask if today is your day, what are you going to do with the resurrection? The logical and reasonable response is to, in faith, believe. 
And so maybe today's the day you start your journey. And I would like to pray with you. So if this is the day and you know the Lord is wooing you, pulling you, would you just look at me and raise your hand and say, that's me, Tim. Today's my day. Easter 2014. Just lift, make sure I see you and I connect with your eyes. Just raise up your hand. Don't let this day go by and not respond to what you know is happening in your heart. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.